welcome back to Your Brain on Positive. All the love and support you need is residing inside of you. And we're going to make it easier to turn it on. Welcome to Your Brain on Positive. I'm Jackie Simmons, your host, and I am positive that you are going to want to pay attention, lean in, get something to take some notes on, because we are going to tackle that word that positive psychologists go, no, don't use the word no. And of course, they use the word no when they say no. The reality is there are ways to say no that can absolutely stop a conversation and destroy a relationship. And then there are other ways. And we're going to be exploring those other ways today with my friend, Aaron Dowd. Aaron, welcome. And I forgot the O. I didn't say O Dowd. I was going to say that. O Dowd. Okay. So, so, oh my goodness. There we go. Hello. Welcome, Jackie. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast with all the amazing guests you've had so far. It's a pleasure. Ah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Let's let's go in the way back machine. Give these people a little bit of an introduction into who you are now and where you came from. Oh, so I am uh, Irish, lives uh, now living in Spain, have traveled the world, lived in America, Asia with my family. I've had 14 years of experience in the sport world, in the adaptive world of sport. Um, from rowing in 2007 to now triathlon in uh, starting in 2019 to up to now and background in massage, background in energy therapy, love technology, food. And that's me, Jackie. <laughs> love technology and food. And that's me. OK, so we'll unpack some of this. Um, now, I traveled a little bit growing up because I'm an army brat. What was behind all the travel when you were growing up? My dad worked for Dell Computers back in the 90s. So we moved to Austin, Texas for six years and then Taiwan for two years and then came back to Ireland. Wow. Okay. So from Ireland to Austin, Texas is a huge culture shock. Oh, it is. When you're at the age of seven and uh, just found out uh, two or three months before that, you have a visual impairment. Wow. It's a, it's a real mind boggler, you know? So, so you were dealing with a couple of paradigm shifts at the same time. Definitely. Huh. Okay. So the world as you expected it is not what you ended up living. And no, that's no. a pretty rude awakening at the age of seven. It is, you know, we're all children like, oh, this is whatever. But when you're told, no, you can't do this. No, you can't do that over the space of, you know, 24 years, it becomes like, I'm going to say yes, I'm going to do this. And that's kind of my life in some way, you know. Mm. So from living in the land of no, because mm. of conditions beyond your control, to now living in a land of yes, I can, yes, I am, yes, I will. Definitely. What had to happen for you to make that shift from no to yes? You know, I, I think if I look back and kind of look forward now, it's the having that, I don't know if I, having the capacity to show that I want to do this. I don't know how this will be, but I need to lean on people to do it. So from like an example is I've raced downhill against Labrador, I've mountain board, I've rotor bladed, I've done all sorts of crazy things. 
But now in my my early early thirties, the level of vision has restricted me what I can do. But in my head, there's no language of no. It's like, yes, I'm gonna adapt this. I'm gonna figure out this. I'm gonna understand how can I make this work for me. That makes sense. Makes perfect sense in a way. What's interesting is this idea of someone who is visually impaired racing down a mountain on a board. Yeah. I'm going, what about this makes sense? And so you mentioned that um, there were other people involved. So is this what you meant by adaptive sports? Adapt, yeah, adaptive sports and adaptive lifestyle is kind of what my my parents, um, my sister also has this in visual impairment. My uncle has it's hereditary, but I've they have really shown me and helped me to this day how to adapt my lifestyle to allow me to be able to achieve what I want to achieve and whatever whatever it is. Cool. Well, there is no doubt that you have achieved a lot. So, mm-hmm. just we met. Because you created a visual experience for other people in the Positive Prime platform. Mm -hmm. And we'll put all the links for this in the show notes so people can actually experience it. There's something worth unpacking this idea of your, what other people would see, limitation. It hasn't stopped you from creating and actually giving a impact in the arena of your impairment. That is so true, Jackie. You know, if you think about some of the famous people I've gone through, they just see another avenue of the world. You know, they could be deaf, blind, missing limbs, can't walk. They just see another aspect of the world. And I think for me, I see that where a part of me inside doesn't see I'm blind or vision impaired, but the out world sees that. And that's where the conflict comes. But internally, I can see all these amazing ideas and I start putting in peace and together, like the positive prime session that you're talking about. If you wanted to, um, hmm, you know, it's not often that I go and my brain goes, nope, stop, you're going the wrong direction. So I'm going to bring myself back and we're going to stick with this. When you use the word see in a mm-hmm. sentence, mm-hmm. I am now very curious, Aaron. What do you see? I see, um, you know, 30 or 40% of what people can see. I, I still have vision right now um, and I lose it over a period of time. But if you if you grab your hand and slowly turn it into a, into a mid fist, mm-hmm. A lot like that. That's how I see it right now. Got it. So is is this um so like a tunnel? You get to see one little centerpiece? Yeah, don't ask me to read things or to give you directions or ask what color your eyes. I can't see that, but everything else I can see perfect in the daytime. Nighttime I have nothing. So if the, the back of the the back of the eye is caving in over a period of time. Got it. And so this is something that at the age of seven, all of a sudden it was, oh, your world is not going to be the world you thought. That's correct. The resilience that children have is not always so present as we age. Aaron, what do you do to keep yourself emotionally resilient? 
because you were very resilient at, at the age of seven. You know, Jackie, I don't have an answer to, to do that, but if I look deeply within, I just did what I enjoyed, playing video games, computers, going out, doing, kicking the ball, whatever it was. I didn't really think it as resilience. I just thought it was normal life. But, you know, people say, oh, yeah, you're resilient or all that. Yeah, that is. But I'm just living my world the same way you or anyone else within the condition I have or the deck of cards I've been dealt with. Well, there's a little bit of a difference because most people that I have met, so-called normal people, you know, people who do not have the obvious uh, shifts. So you got, like I said, you dealt with two big shifts that were outside of your control at the age seven. There are people who don't have those kinds of shift experiences and they end up, a lot of them, spending their time doing what they don't enjoy talking about what they don't enjoy, Mm. speaking about what's not so good about their life or other people's lives or the world. And I'm wondering if you've noticed any correlation, anything that, that would help understand what makes this so obvious, you know, because for me, this is like, Oh, wait a minute. People who don't have these pivots don't see the world the same way. I, I get that 100%, Jackie. But I think for me, I came into this life like that. Um, I had the umbilical cord wrapped around my neck at, at birth. And I had a choice to stay or not to stay. And I decided to stay. So I think internally, internally, me as a soul in this human body on this planet, resilience is part of one of the elements that is naturally in me in a sense of I moved from two sports I moved across the world I've been given challenge after after challenge after challenge and I love that challenge I have a nutritionist who I work with at the moment and Aaron give you she said to me you know give you a challenge Aaron and you'll conquer it and I think that's because in resiliency is naturally in me as a human being on this planet if that makes sense it makes total sense that I'm totally pissed because what I really want to know is what we can share with, with everyone that will help them become more resilient. So it is one thing for nature. It is another for nurture. And mm-hmm. for all that you are naturally resilient, you also do things to nurture that, to, to nurture your positivity and to protect it. And so those are the avenues that maybe we will go down now because What's your mission in life, Erin, beyond doing what you enjoy? My mission is to show people how adaptive and how abilities we have. We live in a world as, you know, nearly 8 billion people and percentage, percentage of that people have a disability, but they have this massive ability. And I think... For me, it's how to use those skills, those depths, those knowledge to inspire people and also give them the tools that I've learned over the last my lifetime, because we're all high performers, high achievers, regardless of what it is and who we are, if that makes sense. Okay, so I got this clue here. Um, So one, you've got some tools. So Mm -hmm. we're going to talk about tools for just a minute. What are the tools that you use to help people see the massive ability that they have? 
nature is one tool. Uh, like when you're in the outdoors in nature, you're you're free, you're grounded. That's one tool. The second tool is using what they love. I love sports. I love food. I love technology. That's my language. That that's my playground. It's how to bring people back into that space of, yeah, I, I want to earn a million dollars, but how can I do that in what I love, what I'm good at? Because we're all good at something. You know, in my department, it's sport, it's the anatomy, it's massage, because that's what I love on top of other stuff. But the biggest tool I've kind of discovered throughout these last couple of years is what do you love? Because if you love something so much and so well, you're going to go to the places where your not life knocks you down, you get back up and you don't really care about what's happening. You're just such in love with what it is that, you know, inspires you to be who you are. That That's that's the biggest tool I have in my toolbox that I see for me and I see in others, if that makes sense. It makes sense. It's interesting because you're talking two very significant interject energetic forces the energy of being in nature you know well documented you know get out where it's green if you live someplace where it's green for me i'm a water i'm i'm not a water personality in any kind of you know um eastern philosophy but what i am is energized by being near water mm-hmm. and so being out in nature for me, if it's going to be beneficial, I'm not going to be necessarily hugging a tree. I'm going to be sitting by the water, but figuring out what it is that brings your energy up when you are in nature. Yeah. I'm more likely to keep myself behind a screen because I live in Florida and there are bugs and they like to eat me. So, um, but everyone gets out of nature in their own way. My idea is that it's important to pay attention to what aspects of nature actually feed your soul so that you can do more of those. Did I get it? That That's true because, you know, an apartment could be your playground once you have the windows open. The beach can be your playground. Walking through a forest could be your playground. Just being your garden because... We're this electrical magnetic being that is here on this planet when you charge that to its max. It's like, whoa. And I've experienced that through an eight-week meditation trip and other meditation trips I've done in the middle of nowhere in nature. And it's like, wow. So I get it, you know? Whoa, there's a tool you did not mention before. So I'm going to add it to the list and come back to it. Um, All right. So actually, we'll go to it first and then we'll do the last one. We'll do love. Okay, meditation. I meditate an eight week meditation trip in nature. This yeah. is not exactly what most people would consider um, a normal or conventional life, Aaron, that you no. have. Tell me what that is. I have never heard of such a thing. So I practice a meditation called Kriya Yoga and they have ashrams around the world in Hattendorf in Vienna and Miami in Homestead and Chicago. And um, when I'm usually at the finish or at the point where I just need to check out and go to them, I, I hop on a plane, I head there and I spend, you know, between four and eight weeks there. Um, in 2013, I spent eight weeks in Miami and Chicago and then on the Queen Mary ship giving energy treatments and uh, lectures. But that's my my retreat spot where I go of where 
meditation about you know an hour and a half between an hour and three hours depending how I want it and I was doing that three four four times a day you know well you know that's the when I finished up one of my energetic healing arts certifications I did 10 days in a Zen monastery and so these people meditate you know hours every day it didn't dawn on me that that would be part of a high performance athlete's lifestyle yeah yeah because when you introduced yourself, you you, you kind of glossed over the fact that you, yeah, you run triathlons. You're a high-performing athlete, mm-hmm. high-performance athlete. And so taking eight weeks to go sit and meditate seems at odds on the surface to that kind of achievement. Where do they fit together? You know, if you want to be to do what I do, you need to take time off because, for you know, I'm pushing my body six days a week, two sessions a day, which is about four hours, four hours a day. Doing what? Doing used to be rowing, but since 2019, I moved into triathlon. And I'm going to use the rowing, for example, because it's one of the most grueling sports on the planet. Six minutes for two kilometer race. Um. And you're you're rowing from September to September to September, um, if you're on the international circuit. So um, uh, in 2013 and in 2019, I decided to head off to the ashram and just meditate. Um, the other thing is, when I had massive success in rowing, um, I had I jumped from junior to senior in the space of three months, which was a massive jump where I'm winning medals, breaking records and going straight to senior guys who are, you know, heavier than me, taller than me, more experienced. And uh, I I lost that race in the Europeans and I had problems in school because I was uh, still in high school at the time in Ireland. And my mom said, hey, um, there's this lady nearby us, Anna Gibson Steele, she does Reiki. Do you want to give it a try? And I said, yeah, yeah. And that's kind of where the avenue of holistic therapies and massage and meditation kicked in. And then uh, my uncle gave me a book, um, Aha Biography of Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda. And that's where the love for Kriya Yoga kicked in in 2010. So I practice ah. med- this meditation every day to this day now. Got it. Okay. I admire your ability to focus. Um, that book, it happens to go in that collection of books that I did not get through I got it started and just got lost in it and it was like no I'm not even absorbing this so I appreciate the fact that there is a path for everyone and that book while it wasn't my path it was your path and Mm -hmm. and that's something that I think speaks to the conversation that we're having about resilience just because one path is a no for me it might be a yes for someone else just like that book was for us. Cool. Well, thank you for unpacking that and helping me to understand that the more we do, you as a high-performance athlete, I'm going to call myself a high-performance entrepreneur because I've discovered that I tend to get more done in a year than most people get done in a decade. I didn't realize there was something high-performance about what I did because I don't follow anybody's rules. But I get it done. And so now that I understand how meditation fits in for you, I'm going to take another look at it for me because unplugging is not my strong suit. 
And, and Jack, it doesn't have to be sitting down on a floor. It can be walking through nature. It can be whatever, whatever floats your boat. It can be watching TV, whatever. You know, meditation is everything and, and everything you can do. It's not just sit in the lowest position in the middle of your garden. It can be absolutely anything. So I just want to debug that because in the world of meditation, it's like, yeah, I need to sit in my yoga pants in my, my beanbag in the, the room with the candles. No, it can be nature. Sometimes I just walk for three hours straight in nature in Ireland, um, in the forest near my parents' house. And that's a form of meditation. So just want to debug that. So what is required for meditation? If it is not the room and the candles and the, the lotus position, if that is not a requirement of meditation, what is? Um. First of all, it's checking out of technology. That's the, the big plus. Second of uh-huh. all, it's being with yourself in silence or just letting your mind run or whatever, whatever it is. Um, you know, when I go for those three, four hour walks, I, I do keep my phone on because I'm going through the forest, but I don't look at it. I, I hit on mute and I just walk and whatever pops through my head is like, oh, that's great, whatever. And uh, so... That is a form of meditation. You know, gardening is a form of meditation. You know, hyper, uh, me going out for a small run is meditation. But we pack it into this linear boxes. It has to be, you know, incense and it has to be this and that. You know, make up your own rules because it's your body, your mind, your soul. And you have the in-depth knowledge to make up your own stuff like you just mentioned with you, Jackie, you know. All right. So the requirements for meditation are two. Unplug and be silent, or at least get someplace where you can be silent in and out, so you can actually I'm, hear. I'm present, present of you in that space, each foot, each movement, whatever. Because if you're not present, you're not meditating. Got it. Unplug and get unplug and plug in. Okay, yeah. unplug from the outside world and plug into the inside world. Be present. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. I like simple things. That one I can wrap my head around. The other one is my love as well as yours, which is do what you love. I call it being in the center of your own life. Spend this one life you have doing what you love. And for you, that meant bucking the system. I like that phrase. I totally agree. Yes. I think, Aaron, that is where you become the common man. This is where you have the common experience for all that you have led an uncommon life as an international traveler and as a high performance athlete, even without needing it to have the word adaptive in there anywhere. Those are both things that a very small fraction of the world can claim. However, this struggle with a system that gives us the rules of success and gives us the paths that we're supposed to walk. And when that's not our way, when our love is not the conventional path, to buck that system. I think that is the human experience. I think very few people are actually designed for what our societies are telling us is normal and is what success is. So let's take a swing at that for just a moment. 
when it comes to personal definitions of success, what does success look like for you? Um, I have many levels of success. Um, you know, I love food. I love cooking. Um, I love mixing the ingredients. I've, I have friends who are very good chefs to make them cry over food and recipes. That's one success for me <laughs> in someone, in some way. Um, oh my goodness. There's something about that sentence. It's just like, I'll know I'm a successful chef when my friends cry over my recipes. Yeah. No, no, like they, they make them, I eat them. And it's a challenge. A really good friend who is a, a really good chef in Ireland, him and I would have competitions of, he'd bring, well, I'd order something, he'd come out and it's like, bury that. And it's like the challenge of like, I'll, I'll outbeat him in food. And he knew, um, like I could have an endless bottle of his appetite. And it's just like, there you go. Can't eat that. Last slice left. Ah! So, um, uh, but that, you know, life is, life is fun. And that's, that's part of why I love the food. <laughs> I love that you have a definition of success in different areas of your life. It's not one all encompassing. I'll be successful when it's I'm successful when it's a current present thing for you. Mm-hmm. I think. Maybe that's one of the biggest keys, Aaron, why, to answer my earlier question about resilience, it is your ability to have success be a now thing, an occurring thing, an experience thing, as opposed to it being a thought or a concept that you'll achieve eventually. I, I totally agree, Jackie. And what I do every year in September and my training year starts, I set out four or five different goals and four or five different things. And I may hit them and I may not. And that's that's okay. And that's what success is for me is, hey, I'm going to set a goal here, goal there, goal there. If I don't meet it, so what? If I do, fantastic. And I think we get humped up about success is I got to hit this goal on this day, that time, it will happen. But what is the consistent performance you're doing to meet those success? Because success could be as simple as going out for a dinner with the family or going on a trip or, you know, getting a massive paycheck. It's paycheck. It's 10 or thousand different things that success is made of. I love it. Success is setting the goals, not getting the goals. Success is for you. And this is a very important point, I think, for everyone. And I'm going to take it to heart. Success is not getting the goals, meeting the goals. Success is setting the goals, the intention, taking the actions towards the goals. Just living in that intention of the goals is what I'm hearing you say is what success is for you. Yeah, I agree. Isn't that an easy definition? I really, really love that. Aaron, I want to thank you very, very much for taking the time to share your tools, to share this journey that you have been on with us, to break through some of the perceptions that people might have about what abilities and disabilities and the reality of sometimes you say yes when the world says no 
Thank you so much, Shaki. It's been a pleasure. I love your podcast and uh, it's been a juicy conversation as usual with you. So thank you. You're very, very welcome, Aaron. All right, guys, what are you going to say yes to? Are you willing to change your definition of success or maybe just your definition of meditation? Whatever it is, embrace the change. Go for the yes in your life. Thank you. Thank you for turning on and turning up your positivity. We know that positivity is easier to maintain in a community, so we have one. Join our community on Facebook, Your Brain on Positive. If you've had an aha from the show, please head over to the community and share it. We love to celebrate wins. <laughs>